Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 855. Brought to you by iFanboy listeners just like you. And that one listener in Altadena. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 855. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I'm here with my co-host, Josh Flanagan. Are you speaking mellifluously on purpose? Uh, it, it's early, and it's cold. Okay. So that's your early cold voice? Yeah, so I'm trying to breathe not through my nose, mm, yes. because I'm stuffy from the cold. Fair. And, I, I, you know, we talk about this all the time. Since I'm doing this show early, the way my voice sounds at the beginning of the show is different than the way it sounds at the end because I haven't sure. been talking before the show started, so I haven't sure. really warmed up. Um, I sound like grim death in the beginning, and by the end, I sound more human. Hey, I said mellifluous. That's a that's a nice thing to say. That's true. No, I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not. Yes, yes, yes. Let's no, fight. Oh, hey, let's not be defensive, pal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is the show. This is. Can you tell we're almost towards the end of the year and we're getting close to the break? My name is Connor Kilpatrick. We already did that part. Wow. We are a fanboy also, and we like to read comics. We pick the favorite one we read in the week, call it the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, other books in the week. We'll do some listener mail, hopefully, and patron picks and all kinds of fun things. It's a fun time. It's a happy, fun hour of comics, and that's what we do here every week. And Josh, you had to pick this week because there's spoilers and exercise your caution. Josh, you had to pick. Fantastic Four, one of those number shows. one or number 694. Uh, I think we all know what it is, but we, we have to we have to do the dance to a certain extent. This, uh, unlike the last issue, two issues of the last run, um, this mm-hmm. is the actual start of a new volume. <laughs> we don't need to rehash that. Yeah, you know, this is the this is the first pick of the week for Fantastic Four this week this year. Really? Yeah, I was huh. shocked. It was huh. picked a bunch of times previous year, the previous year, right? But this was the first time this year. All right, so uh, I, I had no idea what to expect. In fact, I think I was preparing myself for it to be like the two issues at mm-hmm. the end of the last volume, and I was like, oh, this is going to be rough. And I don't know Ryan North. Uh, I know He's he a did multiple Squirrel. Eisner Award winner. Yeah, I know he did Squirrel Girl and is, is well thought of, but I just don't have any experience with it for whatever reason. Yep, um, same. Uh, Iban Coelho on art. Uh, Jesus Abertoy. I can't be Abertof. right. 
Abertov, right. Sorry. There you go. Abertov. Uh, and Joe Caravagna on letters. And I was really surprised when this issue started because it's a road trip issue with Thing and Alicia and everybody else is gone uh, doing something. Uh, and they it's a Twilight Zone episode. They, they, they end up in this town that is the same day over and over again. It's, it's uh, July 12th, 1947. It's Groundhog Day. And, and I thought, that's really weird for a start of a whole new volume and run. I, I had the exact same thought. I, I was reading this and I thought, "Wow, like this is a this is a bold choice to start." Yeah, you know, look, you've got a giant number one on the cover. I don't know if that attracts people at all. It must if they keep doing it. And if you're not a Fantastic Four reader, it's just not what you expect when you open. And I, I, I was surprised that you made this pick. I didn't think it was a bad comic at all. I thought it was a very good comic, but I was surprised just in general. And I was also sort of flabbergasted by the choice. I thought so too, but I, then a lot of things happened. One, uh, I, I really found myself taken in by the story. I, I, yeah, I, story. I liked that it didn't turn into a demon shows up. It was a whole other thing where they had to learn to, they, were, they decided because they're heroes that they need to fix the problem and help these people, which is, which is you know, bang on. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they and and by doing so there was no there was clobbering time clobbering time didn't work they had to be humans and relate to people and that's how they solved the problem um, but then the the other bit there's two there's two other issues um, in this one issue two other things that <laughs> that happened so the first three pages uh, yes. caused me to think that there was an error right well, we're reading digitally and you know I don't know right. if they've repeated the page like it's the same page. Right. Twice, and the third page has a slight variation to it, but I was right. like, wait a minute, what? Did I just and I, screw up here? So right away, again, with the bold choice of the thing, that is a bold choice to start your story on. And it actually works better digitally because you, you know, wait, what's happening? Um, yes. and, and, and that is, I, I thought, oh, you're, you're playing with the form right away. Do you think away. Jesus, uh, Ivan Coelho got the same page rate for just copying and pasting the files? I think so. I think he should have. I would have been yeah. pissed off because it's but anyway. But but it's a Not form joke, and, yeah. And it's a thing that doesn't happen because because when we're down to twenty pages, the the space is very uh, precious. But they decided to go with it anyway. And and I will say, I didn't feel like I got shorted pages when I read this issue. So no, I think it's a very it, it dense comic. Them. Yeah. Um. And so so that there's this going on. Then as we get into the Groundhog Day portion of everything, um. There were just some choices with the form. They did a thing where the panels run over the pages as if you're just seeing if like if it was a really tall page and you just took a, a cross section of the whole thing, right? Uh, a couple of times, or like it's a film strip going by and you're just seeing part of it. Yeah, I, I again, I really like this. I like this is the kind of horror, if you want to call it horror, that I like, where it's more like Twilight Zoney. And I thought that was a fun conceit. I thought the the thing and Alicia were great. I liked all of it. It was a little like, beyond the fact this isn't a number one volume issue and it doesn't feature three quarters of the team, it seems like it's the same story conceit as Spider-Man in that Reed and Johnny did something horrible mm-hmm. and everybody hates them now. And right. We don't know what it is. And it's like, wait, we, we're doing that in That's Spider-Man. Fair. 
So I was like, well, that's why would they do that in another, another Marvel book? That's that was a minor thing because I think you don't find that to the last two pages. Well, so and and that was the last thing. I that didn't occur to me, but you're not yeah. wrong about it. So they 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 get through this problem and they're driving away and they're like, well, that's settled. And and because I thought the issue was over. Mm-hmm. And you flip it, and then they're driving and talking, and then you get basically that information you just gave and a shot of a giant smoking hole in Manhattan. Right. And and I was like, okay, now I understand how it's a first choice. It, like, it really leads you into what the run is without having it come instead of starting on I – just, I just think that – so my things are this. The story was, was great. The characterization, those things. The, the playing with the form – Yes. It's really fun. I mean, like, you just don't see a lot of it. And then using this as an interesting way to start off what is the big superhero story, I thought was also a really good structure. It, it just, I thought, okay, that's like a weird little one shot. But really what it is is it leads into giant smoking hole in the ground and, and Reed and Johnny fuck some shit up. You and would I was think, like, I'm in. You would think a giant smoking hole in the ground would affect Manhattan real estate prices, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't. It would actually, like, whole side would go up. Yeah, you'd be like, well, you got a great view of the hole. So <laughs> you're, you got a whole, a whole view, and that's going to raise your prices. Um, there's park view side, there's whole view side, and and actually whole view side more expensive. Yeah. Well, whole if you can get whole and park, like, you know, like <laughs> then you're north gold. side faces park, uh, <laughs> east side faces whole. Yeah, in fact, good. those those buildings on the south side, they've got a view of the park and the hole. So that's real. You're talking mm-hmm. real cash value for your property. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I was. You I will was, also notice, by the way, <laughs> if we're luck talking about the hole, notice that traffic coming in and out of the hole is unaffected. <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's traffic coming directly <laughs> south of the hole. There's so much angry honking <laughs> going on. Um, so like this a, is an example of where a comic is more effective than in any other medium because yes, if this was a TV show, you would know right away that this is this is taking place in the 1940s. From the art direction to the costumes to the you know the music playing in the background. Yes. At one point he says, "Oh, they were listening to big." He was listening to big bad jazz, and we would have heard all that. And then you don't know they're in the forties for a while, even when the kids in their in the back seat of their truck or the, in the truck bed. Um, he doesn't. He's not really. Dress, I mean, he's got some some high socks, but he's not really dressed like a kid in the nineteen forties. He's 1940s. got old timey toys, but it was really subtle, and they they kind of had to call it out. And and I you'd like you notice like that's weird that the kid has an old timey toy. Or you, in those first couple of pages, you have to make sure that you actually look what's on the paper. You look at the date, like you you had to pay attention. So by making you look at the page three times, all of a sudden, right? You know, you you sort of pick up on those clues. Or the old truck that is, uh, yeah, that drive. Like it just it just wasn't. Um, it just was subtle, and so it worked mm-hmm. really well because you're like, wait, what? They're in the past. So it was, I was, I was impressed. Like you said, like it was not what I was expecting at all, mm-hmm. and it took me a minute to be like, whoa, what are we? Wow, what are we doing here? Yeah, and uh, but it was, it was as you said, it was bold and I, fun. I'll, I'll be honest, I thought, God, I've probably got to go read Squirrel Girl. That's what I thought when I finished this. Oh, there you go. Because it was so just unexpected and and fun and against type uh, and yeah it was a lot of things and and i i finished it and i didn't think that i had pick of the week for most of the week this week and <laughs> so i finished sometimes. it and i was like i think i'd probably make that pick of the week this week <laughs> and then i was like wait a minute i had no recollection of you doing it of you doing it last sure. week so um and then i was like well i guess i got my pick chosen like i didn't have to work at it because i'd already done it in my mind there you go that was really fun and also and then finally if there's one more thing like we loved the dance lot run. Yeah. Oh, 
Loved it. And this so wasn't and, and this wasn't a lesser version of that. It's a different thing, and I'm cool with that. Don't yes. try to carry that torch. That was for that thing. And you know, try different things like fail or succeed, but trying to continue that on never works. So Yeah, I mean it's a new volume. You have to you have to do something new. And as much as I love that slot run and didn't want it to end, you know, a new writer's not gonna be able to do this book in that way he did it. Nope. With that mix of Silver Age love, and I mean, you, to the point where, you know, the cover is a little jarring. It's an Alex yeah. Ross cover, and he's and he just did that. Which I really like this Fantastic Four OGN recently in this style. The characters are done on the cover, but it's a whole new cover treatment. It's a whole new modern logo, Pastels which is tough because the Fantastic Four is a classic. You know, it's like the classic Marvel font, mm-hmm. and so you do it in this, as you said, pastelly uh, sort of pop art style. In the art, and then this sort of ultra modern cover, you know, logo treatment. I was, you know, it's a little. You're like, oh, well, what's going to happen to my, you know, my favorite Marvel right. characters now? But but it was it, it was still fun. I mean, so. There was good thing characterization. There was good relationship talk in this. It was it was really it was a lot of things. And then uh, and we will move on. I promise. Uh, the 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 fan page, the the essay, obligatory essay, and I did not read the whole thing, but mm-hmm. it is designed in such a way that there's four numbered things at the top and and Full Ryan points. North sent Yeah, Ryan North sent the a document to Tom Brevoort that just said, Here are the rules. Fantastic Four are fun, Fantastic Four are adventurers, Fantastic Four can do anything, and Fantastic Four are accessible. And I was like, I like this. Like like it all talked to me. It was thoughtful. It was, you know, it was I mean, that was really the thing. It wasn't just like it was thoughtful. It was a lot of work mm-hmm. put into this um, yes. uh, from a from a planning perspective. And it gave me good hope for the, the future. The teaser cover shows a lot of people wearing Doctor Doom masks. Mm-hmm. So Doom. I'm, 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 you know, I was apprehensive about this new volume, not knowing anything about Ryan North. You know, just going through a multi-year awesome run at, on Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, and I'm I'm now interested. Yep. To see where it goes. Uh, I didn't make a pick, but it probably would have been the new Golden Age number one, the oversized one shot that's leading into the New Justice Society book by Jeff Johns. And this was just like a Jeff Johns special, you know. It's like <laughs> let's take a, let's take elements of all of DC continuity throughout the ages and mush together, featuring some terrific art, especially most notably by Jerry Ordway, who um, I've always loved, but appreciate even more now as an, as an older person uh you know that there's nothing here too radical it's he's he's taking elements from from the history of the justice society even down to helena wayne who was a bronze age character on earth too who was the daughter of batman and catwoman who joined the became the huntress and joined the justice league or justice society back then so he's he's, he's taking it all he's doing it all he's taking all the toys from the box and making them work together and that's what he does i really like this I did too, and in that same that same way, I knew that all of this didn't make sense, but I also didn't feel like I had to make sense of it. Like I recognized mm-hmm. the characters, I understood the time jumps, I appreciated the different artists. Although, even that to a certain extent is that I kind of stopped paying attention to it because I noticed the Ordway pages, and I was like, "All right, look at him go." Yeah. And then, other than that, I kind of just read it, and I, I wasn't yeah, really cause... stopping to think about who the artist was. There was a lot of very similar styled artists. So, like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Gary, Gary Frank obviously stood out and Ordway stood out. But, you know, Todd Nowak and 
and Victor Bogdanovic and Brandon Peterson. They're they're very similar in style. So mm-hmm. it was like I, I wasn't trying to necessarily identify them. You know, the, the Scott Collins bit was pretty I'm, identifiable. But other than that, I would say the only bit that stuck out to me was when Selena came in with huge boobs in a weird <laughs> low cut shirt, and she's angry. I was like, "Where'd this come from?" <laughs> <laughs> Some yeah. weird Arrested Development widow shit. <laughs> in that's right. In the in the future, when she's married to Bruce and they have a daughter, she's just you know. Uh, she looks like Lisa, Lucille B- Booth with a with a huge boob job. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's and then the, the and then the the Watchmen clown folks yeah. show up again, and I was like, oh shit, this is like, that's kind of when it occurred to me. I would love for him to really go into why he's so obsessed with with inter- integrating the Watchmen into DC, but um, it's only. A- do, you, I, do, you, do you think it maybe has something to do with the fact that like he was the guy in charge of that, and he probably had a massive plan and had worked it all out, and then it was kind of taken away and and been put off to the side, but he had all this stuff, you know, yeah, maybe and, you know. He's, I mean, he, and he, he's, from what I can understand, he's, he's fairly passionate about telling his stories and doing his stuff. And so, you know, he probably got attracted to those, those characters for some reason. Yeah. Um, so the story of this is there's a mysterious figure with red hair and a trench coat who is, who is sort of menacing the Justice Society throughout the, throughout time. The stranger. He is, uh, stalking them and, and, and so doing so, he is attacking, uh, the Doctor Fates throughout time first, and taking them out, and so you see that happening in sort of the 1940s classic first meeting of the Justice Society. You see it in the future with a uh, 30th century Ju- Legion of Superheroes contemporary Justice Society team where he kills that Doctor Fate, and so you know we don't know why that's happening. We see it sort of a middle aged Doctor Fate, the 70s and the Bronze Age with Doctor Midnight. Um, you know something's wrong with him. So you're just seeing all throughout the ages, you using that as an excuse or as a vehicle to uh, explore the different timelines of Justice Society, including the 50s in which they disband, which, which it had happened in the comics because of the House of American Committee. And then in, in the midst of that, we also have the sort of Time Lords going through time trying to fix things, including one of the Time Lords who has decided to go talk to John Wilkes Booth as a kid and try to convince him not to kill Abraham Lincoln. I was like, what is Didn't going work. on? <laughs> Did yeah, not work. Yeah, there's a lot it worse. here. Yeah. I want to hang out with Jeff Johns again. That's what I got out of this. It's fifty pages. There's a lot going on. Yeah, but it um, wasn't. Didn't I? I think to me also that I to me I think the most significant, fun, weird sequence is there's three pages where young Helena decides that she's not going to be scared anymore. So she mm-hmm. grabs a kitchen knife. Here's something oh, yeah. downstairs. Go downstairs. Stab someone. Turn the page. It's Batman. Now we have not been told that who she is yet at this point. Yeah, I mean, I knew, but yeah. Right, but and what I thought was, how did Batman just get stabbed by a little girl? Then you've got this <laughs> next page where they're in the kitchen. By the way, this page is magnificent, by the way. Mm, uh, there's a bloody page. knife on a counter. There's a great shot on the left hand, like almost like a left-hand stacked sort of tall panel where he's standing there looking at her sternly, and it doesn't, it's Batman, but it isn't. Like, everything's kind of weird. And she looks at him, and he just goes, I'm Batman. And I was like, why is this person telling? And and I and then does mom know? And which is the last panel. So if you don't know, it's all weird up until they put the button on it and it makes sense. Right. And I just thought, right. wow. I was th- that page is magnificent. I hate the coloring on this. 
Oh, I love the. I love it. I mean, in general, the color. I just hate when they color Batman with that light blue. Like he should be wearing I, black. See, to me, first of all, they're in the kitchen, and so this mm-hmm. is all like a sign that this isn't Batman because it's really bright out. Yeah. And B, I know what you're saying, but that's what Batman looked like to me at first. That color, oh, sure. the superpowers yeah. color. So I like it. I understand what you mean. I, it doesn't make sense, but I see those colors on Batman. It makes me happy. Just I, my, it, it was, yeah. it, this was a tour de force. This was like, you know, we haven't had a lot of Jeff Johns in the last 10 years as he's mm-hmm. been, you know, in various stages running the, the media side of DC. And and they seem to like, okay, you can, and, he, and then he, I think he had conflicts with, with DiDio on things, is for what we heard. Yeah. But now that DiDio's gone, uh, he seems to be back in the fold at the very least just to be in this GSA corner. And, you know, he thrives in that corner. And in addition to all that's going on, in addition to all of that, um, which which is what had happened at the end of his uh, Flashpoint book, is that he's introducing these 12 new characters, and they're all given little who's who character sheets at the end. And these are all new characters who are being introduced into the timeline as having been around the whole time. So they all have fake backstories and fake first appearance dates mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and so there's a lot. I mean, Mr. Miracle's obviously not new, but it's probably, it's, it must be a new version of him. Um, but it's all, you know, Quiz Kid and Salem the Witch Girl and uh, Ladybug and the Golden Cherry Age Aquaman. So, you know, go nuts, Jeff Johns, in your Justice Society bubble. I love it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, like I said, like it should have. There's a lot of instances where this might be um, confusing or whatever, but I didn't care. I just, I just went with it, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna get it. You know, for all of this stuff moving around, it was much less confusing than it could have been. But it, pretty quickly, is like, I don't know, just clear that it was I mean, not a standard continuity. Right, and the DC continuity is broken. In fact, you, you are going the same way. Yes. Like DC continuity is broken. There is no real continuity. So. You know, why not put him in a this side bubble and just let him run wild with all of DC continuity and pick and choose what he wants because it's all broken and, anyway. And what he's going to get is the characterizations and themes of the characters in just as pure a version as if it was in continuity. Like, you're going to get the right. same that Tom Taylor's doing. Yes. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, like if you're going to tell these characters, tell these characters uh, in, a, in, a, in a historically accurate and compelling way. Right. You know, and, and he is, so... Go for it. Speaking of historically accurate and compelling, we have Love Everlasting number four from now from Image Comics. Well, it's all, they've been reprinting these in Image, but this is the first new issue for you, for Josh and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were originally running on Tom King and uh, Elsa Cartier's, or Chartier's. Charretier. Uh, that's all wrong. Um, their uh, Substack. And so now Image is also publishing them. So this is the first issue we haven't read in a while. I, had, I actually reread all three issues. Previous, um, I really didn't want to lose the details of this book, which okay. in which details matter. Um, and I had fun reading those because it was so so strange. And this book continues to be strange in that I know that there's a conceit here, and I know there's something going on with time travel or something with this girl Joan. But I swear to you, I was like seven pages into this book, and I, I had forgotten all of that, and I just got swept mm-hmm. up in the story. It's really good. Like each of the issues is done in such a way but this is the best issue i believe of the things i mean you know you and i are are history nerds so this thing that takes place outside of the lines in world war one you know that's going to be compelling in a certain way and i know i I literally forgot i was like (laughs) i was so caught up in the story of this soldier who keeps coming back to this bar every time uh he's off the lines and one of his buddies dies 
and he's in love with the singer Joan. And, you know, she has affection for him, but doesn't, you know, she's in love with him, but, mm-hmm. you know, but she has affection for him because he's a young soldier. And I was literally, I was swept up in the romance, Josh, swept up in it. It was, and I, I was, and I was like, oh, the right, sadness. there's a whole thing going on here. Shit. Right. And this, this but the sadness of it is that yeah. like, it keeps going on. You really get your money's worth on these pages. It's a little longer than normal. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's not all that, if I'm going to look at these pages, all the pages are just two people and there's a lot of words and it shouldn't work, but it does for a lot of reasons. It's mm-hmm. super compelling. It's sad. It's sad as hell to watch what happens is his friends just keep dying and he keeps not dying and he comes back in, you know, and yeah, it's awful. It's and it, like, it was really compelling and, and the art does a lot. Like I know that we have said before, like, oh, it reminds us of Darwin a lot, but this is like Darwin mixed with Eduardo Riso. Yeah, it's not, it's, yes, yes. It's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. I mean, Matt Hollingsworth just coloring the living shit out of this thing. It's, it's one mean, of the best looking books out there for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, like a lot of, I mean, for a long time I was like, I want to write comics and do whatever. I read this and I was like, what were you even thinking? <laughs> I didn't even notice this re- well, while reading it, but I noticed it now as I'm fast scrolling through it. Uh, al- almost all of the times you see the guy uh, his his eyes are closed or down. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's just constantly looking at the ground because mm-hmm. he's just so burdened with the pain of what he's going through. I don't think it starts like that. Like in the first few pages, like he's know. constantly looking either at his drink or at the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously sometimes he's looking at her, but for right. the most part, I'm just going through. At least half of the times you see his face, right. you just see his eyelids. Yeah, by the end, that's definitely the case. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, so each one of these issues has been a different story of romance with this character, Joan. And some of them have been more disjointed than others, you know, jumping around time or whatever. But, um, it, you know, four issues in, we don't we still don't know what's going on. But I don't necessarily even care right now because, like I said, these little one-shot uh, stories of romance have been so compelling. I mean, you know, we had that high school one with the librarian we had the old west one and we had the sort of rich upstairs downstairs made in the and the manor one and like they were all but they've all been compelling they've all been really compelling i almost don't want there to be a conceit i kind of just like it you've been saying that all along but yeah i mean i'm interested but i'm also like these are great and when he does it will be good yeah (laughs) like it'll it'll work out um he just continues to find these not find but work with these terrific artists yeah. Who? No, he's got he's got a great eye for for folks to work with for sure. Did you read Gospel Number One from Image Comics? No, I just saw it. I was like, wait, what's the next thing on here? And I thought I should look that up, but then you started talking to me. So, so go ahead. I, I you know I didn't know what it was, but I looked at the I, I, you know I looked at the cover. The cover was interesting. I looked at the, at the inside art, and I thought, oh, that's good. So I I said I'll check it out. And you know you open it up, and it says England 1538, and it tells you the, so what's going on, and I'm like is this a comic about the Reformation? Like, mm-hmm. is it? And you know, cause that's what the whole intro is. And so then I opened the page and it's this, this girl being chased by a giant boar. It's like, okay, so it's a Reformation with, with Supernatural. But then it's not because that's just a tall tale being told by like a singing bard. The real boar was just regular sized. This is just a comic about the Reformation, Josh. So far. Uh, I'm, you're ta- okay, I'm hearing you. With art that's very similar to Michael Lark. The, this is written by, written and drawn by Will Morris. I don't know who Will Morris is, Ooh, but what's the what's the publisher? 
image. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I don't know who Will Morris is, but very much in the school of of a Michael Lark type of, of art. Okay. And, you know, it's so far just the story of these people this, in this village during during the Reformation, which, if you don't know, is when uh, England split off of, from the from the Pope and from Catholicism. And Protestant, Protestantism, Protestantism, Protestantism. I wouldn't say England, because well, it took place in, in, in Europe and then made its way to England later, right. which well, allowed yes. Henry VIII, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this, this is taking place in England, so I just was in England. Okay, but, gotcha. Uh, you know, it's, so that's where we are here. There's a lot of tension with the, you know, the Bible being printed in English instead of Latin. And I was like, are we doing this? There, there's, there's. You know, a couple if, of modern things that don't really make sense, like the two main characters is a girl with blue hair and a black guy. It's like, would this, would this have been in the 1500s? But whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, and it's Actually, just... If, if I can just provide, yeah. if there's context for folks. It's the idea that um, the, the Martin Luther had his, his treatises, and the idea was that you don't need the church or the, the Catholic church to commune with God. You can do it on your own and read the Bible yourself. And that is the big schism that changes everything. Right. Because the That's Bible what... was in Latin and only people who could read Latin could commune with God. And that was usually the educated priests and that, you know, that right. But the idea is still that in order to commune with God, you have to go through these channels. You have to go through this organization and they're saying, no, you can, you can have a relationship with God on your, on your own. Um, yeah. That's like the basic of it. But yeah, which is because printing presses were finally available and they could, you know, King James Bible, blah, blah, blah. So it was, I was fascinated by this. Like, I was really, I mean, you really see the giant boar. You're like, okay, well, it's a supernatural reformation, but it's I, not. I probably looked at the cover and went, nah, not that. Yeah, and then originally, I, mean, I liked the cover art, but I, I was like, okay, another fantasy book. But it was, it's not really that. It's this girl who's it. trying to, you know, make a name for herself. So she keeps trying to have adventures. And she has her friend who is this popular, you know, storyteller who goes from village to village telling stories. He tells these tall tales of her adventures, and one of them involves a, a giant boar. But in reality, we see it was just a regular sized boar. And when he, when we see the actual real, you know, events of it, um, and it, it's, I mean, I don't even know what this book is really about yet. But it mm-hmm. was just incredibly surprising and, and interesting and fun to read. And I thought the art was terrific. Uh, on the, we do we do at one point flash to the future or to the present, and there's something going on that's related to the past, but we spend most of the time in the, in the past. Yeah. I was surprised by this and I think you would really like it. I was going to recommend it to you if you hadn't checked it out, but, um, the week got away from me, but I, I was really surprised. I was like, are we, are we doing this? I thought thought only Stephanie Phillips had the ability to do comics like that. Right. It was like, there's been very, very few of these and you know, there still could be, there still could be some monster. I mean, right now it's like, it seems to be pretty grounded, but who knows, you know? I feel like if you're going to have a book with a supernatural thing, you have to put in the first issue so that people know. Well, I mean, at the very end, there's a dude wearing a goat. There might be a goat dude at the very end. There might be the devil, but... Mm, that's that's almost not considered supernatural in this context. Right. It's just He's just a guy. He's a character. There's a dude wearing a goat head. He might be... He might have hooved feet. I can't tell. I mean, yes, you can kind of, kind of see it. But for the most part, it was just like regular stuff going on. Yeah. yeah I enjoyed it. We had two Mark Russell books this week, and yeah. I was struck by the fact that they both followed a very similar structure in that we basically read an essay being written by both main characters and just watched the action, and I didn't necessarily love that style. I noticed that as well, and I feel the same way. But I but. thought that traveling to Mars, number one, from 
Ablaze Comics. Ablaze. Gaivlin. Uh, never, never even heard of that. Never heard of that. They seem to be an imprint of Archaea. No kidding. Uh, anyway, this was the better one. Yes. Robert, Mark Russell, Roberto, Dakar, Melly. Um, the other one was Billionaire Island, which I didn't, you know, I don't think we loved the original Billionaire Island series. Like, it was fun, but it didn't really have a story. And I think that's what's still happening there. But Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 <clears throat> it's, it's, a, it's a, we talked about this. It's a great number of social political treatises mixed up in what's supposed to be sort of a comedy, yeah. but it's a little aimless. I think we said this, like when he has a superhero story to tell in the middle and he puts that in there, all of a sudden it gives it a focus and a forward direction that didn't, doesn't really exist in some of these other ones. Yeah. However, um... Uh, for some reason, this I, I I was reading this and I was like, wait, is this Rick Remender? But it wasn't like you know what I'm saying that right? Does yes, that make do. any sense to you? Yeah, it was a little Rick Remender in him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got this guy and they're sending him to. It's it's grim, man. He's got. I'm going to try to explain it in a short couple of sentences. There is a man and he's just kind of a regular everyday loser, and uh, he finds out he has stage four cancer. Uh, in that way, uh, there other corporations and nations are trying to figure out how to claim mineral deposits that have been found on Mars. Right. And so the trick is to get your flag planted first, and then you can say you own it. The first However, person to step foot on Mars will claim all the mineral the rights to it. Right. But the problem is they don't know how to get people home. So they think, wait a minute, let's find somebody who's not going to live and doesn't want to come home. They will claim it for us, and then we will pay them off. And so that is what happens. Right. So uh, they'll, they, they'll send the robots up there to mine the minerals, but to actually... Mm -hmm climate needs to be human and they also find out that his his particular cancer will not progress while he's in zero g so he will actually um not be dying while on the trip and right. fe feel better and so there's like a slight benefit for him in, in addition to the money for his family and this guy's name is roy livingston who is a fair fairly good artist well not fairly good uh -huh. but he's a good artist who's as we were reading from his journal as he's talking about this uh has the handwriting of a comic book letterer sure and uh I thought this was interesting, you know, you know, very much played into the sort of corporate, you know, it turns out he, he thinks he's being recruited by the U.S. government and up to the point where he's on the ship. Turns out he's just, it's a, it's basically the impossible burger people. It's like the, the fake meat people. I, I did really like him. though that he goes, you know, I didn't even think to ask. And I thought that's actually incredibly realistic. Yeah. Like, just like, who's doing this? I don't know. He's just making assumptions. You're not asking. He's got all of these things on his mind so you can buy it right at the beginning He's sitting there, and I saw this right away. I'm guess I'm guessing you didn't. I went, "That's Stevie Ray Vaughan's hat." <laughs> and then there's a guitar behind him, but I was like, "That's weird." And then as we go on, like somebody gives him the present of Stevie Ray Vaughan's hat, which, by the way, is the same. Th it's sending it out into space to never come back. I was like, well, "You're just throwing away Stevie Ray Vaughan's hat." It's a very famous hat, and he takes a guitar with him. And I was like, "All right, that's cool." You. Can <laughs> It was so weird, but they, they actually called it out. I was like, this is such a strange dude, but it told me a lot about the character. It's a very specific thing mm -hmm. that that he's a guy of a certain age, and that's the kind of music he likes, and that, that told me a ton about where he's coming from and where Mark Russell was coming from, too. Yeah, he's um, a guy who, you know, is middle-aged, has had a disappointing life, he's got a mustache, he's, you know, got sort of shaggy hair, and uh, he's dying. And so this is like one last adventure, one th something he can do for his family and do for Earth, which has you know, you know, run out of minerals. And it was it was good. I thought it was, it's a four issue miniseries. It's it's short, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes from here because the whole thing is he gets when he gets to Mars, they're like, well, how do you want to die? And he says, well, I guess I'll just take off my 
my my helmet and they're like oh no god you don't want to do that and they explain why you don't like it was interesting there was a lot of some, he's apparently some fun never science. seen total recall right it's like you'll, you'll boil from the inside it'll be incredibly painful um i thought this was fun i mean it wasn't great because again it no this style of telling a story in which we're basically reading thoughts instead of it's a it's a classic tell don't show uh yeah. it puts you at arm's length a bit but um i, th- I liked I, it i thought the art was terrific still worked the art was terrific. You know, it's like another one of these people who shows up you've never seen. And just also just a really good, because you can have a great artist and then you can have a uh, low rent team, you know, yes. coloring it and producing it. And that was not the case here. Like it was, the coloring was good. It was a strong uh, visual presence for this story. And the, the faces on all the characters are fantastic. Um, the guy who's in charge of the company, uh, he's got a great face. Um, you know, the, the guy himself, he's drawn to be quite gaunt and skinny mm-hmm. in a in a very realistic way his the way his clothes fit the way his posture is um yeah i i i was I, like same thing I, I i didn't love it i didn't think it was amazing but it's pretty damn good yeah i was, I was impressed uh and it was you know it was interesting I'm, I, he, mark russell's always interesting even if what he's doing doesn't necessarily always work i have at some point become a, a fairly big jonathan luna fan that's so he, interesting he, he, I don't know, I know. That about he'll, you. He'll do these little stories. Uh, this is uh, Jonathan Luna, who did every single aspect of this book. Um, and it's just a, a fable it's about an, a, an Italian knight uh, who goes, you know, like defeats a demon uh, in Sicily somewhere and is, is, a, is writing a letter back to his wife. I'm going to be back soon. He goes into the woods. He finds this beautiful young woman by herself. And that's weird. And it turns out she's a witch and she captured him and the other people. And, um, he makes a sacrifice, like one of those nightly sacrifices uh, to help other people. And it's sort of about love and being loved. And I mean, it's, it is, it's a great little fable uh, in comic book form. And I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I, yeah, I'm a Luna fan. Who knew? I was, uh, not me. I was surprised. <laughs> uh, do a power bomb number six, six of seven. And we talked earlier about Tom King and no one's really doing it like he is. And no one's also really doing it like Daniel Warren Johnson and this is a textbook example of raising the stakes in <laughs> yeah. which we think the story is over. And look, all the things about this is the most dynamic art. There's some incredible pages here, incredible panels. We've said it before. But really what I want to talk about was the, the story, which is that uh, we, you know, the whole thing has been this, this tag team champ, this cosmic tag team championship being run by this necromancing demon who promises that one of your dead loved ones will return if you win the championship and this whole time this father-daughter team have been from from earth have been fighting in it although they didn't realize they were father-daughter until or, or at least the daughter didn't realize that until last Which, this year but, by the way you had mentioned this could only happen in the comic i don't buy that at all right of in course the comic book fine yes so then uh they don't actually win they lose the championship in the, at the end of the last issue to this other team and the problem is that that team you know they're they're not friends, so they have two different people they want to come back. So they start fighting each other in the ring, and they end up killing each other. And so by default, the father daughter win. Okay, that's, stakes that's raised. Bullshit ex machina, by the way. Right. Don't care. But so same then thing. they go to they go to the the the, the Wizard re- of Oz. They go to the Wizard of Oz. Is <laughs> that what happens? The rejuvenation hall, and the guy's like, "So listen, I am a necromancer, but I actually don't have enough power to bring your 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 wife slash mother back. So sorry, uh, but." There's actually is someone who can do that, and he turns out he's a big wrestling fan. So if you go to this other tournament 
and you guys defeat him in a two-on-one match, he will bring your person back. And they go, cool, who is it? And it's God. The- and I was just like, fuck it, let's do it. Like, we see God's wearing, like, an old, like, sort of like Roman mask. And- see... This is the thing about, I've said before, and I believe it to be true, is that comic books and wrestling, pro wrestling, share aspects. Oh yeah, for sure they do. It is the next level stake raising that is quite silly. (laughs) Right. And and then just doing that, leaning into it and selling it, and he did both things at the same time in this comic book. Yeah, this was also in the running in my head for pick of the week in terms of (laughs) the best books of the week. And I know it's... uh, in the in the in the short section of the show, but uh, there was it's just it, it's what he's doing is incredible. Sure. Like from a, from every aspect, he's writing and drawing. The art is so lived in, and he doesn't cheat on anything. And every panel is chock full of detail and life. And then he just expertly raises the stakes at every issue to the point now where what you want to do happen is you cannot get any bigger, or the story will burst. And that's where you want to be towards the end. And so that's where we are. Is where these two characters now have to. Uh, Wrestle God. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Those are the books we wanted to talk about. That's This was a fun week. I enjoyed this week of comics, and it was a good it week. It was. It totally was. But we always have to talk about the patron pick, which is the book that the patrons over patreon.com slash ifanboy vote to add to the show, to add to the rundown, and this week by an overwhelming margin, I mean overwhelming, was Wildcats, number one from DC Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg and drawn by Steven Segovia, with colors by Elmer Santos and letters by Ferran Delgado. And this is another bite at the apple of the Wildstorm universe that is now owned by DC or has been for a while. My first question for you is, yeah. would you have read this? No. No. I am over it. I'm over the had Wildstorm. You ever, cat. Had you ever I, been I was, a Wildcat person? Oh, in the beginning, Jim Lee, forget it. That was one well, of my yeah, favorite okay. book coming out of the original. But then after that, I guess like uh, yeah, the yeah, Joe I mean, Casey re- had two volumes. We read the Joe Casey stuff, and that was great. Uh, you know, the corporate sort of, but that was they were still separate. They weren't in the DC universe then. Sure, sure, and then you know, and then um, Sleeper, all that stuff. Warren Warren Ellis. No, Sleeper I didn't. Was like I, a I continuation. The, I read a couple of those, but I I, I know you really love that series. But I read the a, Wildstorm, yeah. I read a couple. I didn't really love it. Um, okay. I just it's it's a it, their, their time has come and gone. Like we're we're I, we're done. I remember when the new Fifty Two started. That was their first real attempt at integrating it. Yes, and it I, was. I was looking forward to it enough, you know, that I tried a bunch of them. But it's like you said, like it it didn't quite work. I think it I doesn't think work. Grif- Anytime like Batman's like, oh, it's Grifter. I'm like, oh, this doesn't make it. This no, this is wrong. I mean, Grifter's the only character who really had a shot at fitting into anything in this. Right. Like, and, keep and, trying. And, he keeps being the main And character. Matt Rosenberg has sort of had the keys on him for a while, both in backup stories in, I think, Batman or Detective, one or the other, and then yeah. in the Urban Legends, uh, he's been around, Grifter. Right. Uh, who is, uh, I, I kind of think of him like Wolverine, yeah. but, but mixed with, uh, I don't know. It's Wolverine if he was a spy mercenary and then there's another character in there too, like almost like Constantine, like he's on his own. Um, so I love Matt Rosenberg's writing. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he has a way of elevating things that shouldn't be any good. Um, right. I like Wildcats. I would like it to work out, but you are not wrong that it hasn't. I really did love the Wildstorm. Um, you did, yeah. But as it being part of DC, I don't think that was what going on in that and it's minor um, i mean here we, we it's really only like they're in star city and at one point 
in like a one panel joke, Nightwing and uh, who was the other character show up? Nightwing and Batgirl. Uh-huh. But that was just like a one panel joke and they're never seen. Like it's not really like, oh, here, you know, the Justice League's around. It's just sort of like they're in the DC universe, but not. I, it just doesn't really work for me. So here was the deal. And I'm going to just yeah. get it was fine. It was, I was expecting more. I thought maybe if anybody's going to crack this or at least give us something that works, it's going to be Rosenberg. Right. And it wasn't bad, but it didn't really bring anything to the table that hadn't been there. The integration with DC, where it falls apart for me is that the whole backstory of this is that there are the two, the Damonite and the Carabum. By mm-hmm. the way, this was the very first time I've read Wildcats for years. I went, oh, it's demons and cherubim. It's angels and demons. It never occurred to me <laughs> that that's what it was, by the way. I, like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm an idiot. Like, they just said it, and, and I saw the words. I went, well, that's because you oh. first read it the first time when you're, like, 13, and you, so that yes. prints on your brain, and doesn't, you don't think to investigate any further. 100%. Uh, but yeah. I just went, oh, cherubim. Like, it's like, it, it's right there. Um <laughs> And I, I really like the characters and how they interact with each other, but there's nothing different about this than reading the Joe Casey stuff or the, or the Alan Moore. Alan Moore's Wildcats is fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's all there already. And so that backstory, that huge, you know, they were here before, like the, the Eternals or whatever, sticking that into the DC universe doesn't work for me. No. Because if that was the problem, Batman would have been working on that shit all along. Yeah. I mean... I. When you asked before, like, yes, my fandom of Wildcats began in 1990-whatever, too, or whatever it was, and it ended basically with Joe Casey. Like, through Wild, through Alan Moore, through Joe Casey, like, I really enjoyed it. And then it's just, like, once 2011 hits and they try to integrate it into DC, yeah. it's a square peg and a round hole situation. But you know what? Let's remove that from this comic because, again, it's only really the, 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 the location of the story. I just thought this, like you said, it was just kind of fine. Like, I like Rosenberg a lot. He's very funny. He's a talented writer. He does really great books. Uh, I didn't think this had a spark in it that his books usually have. And I thought the art also was just fine. Like, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. Like, to me, I finished it, and I was like, that was a comic, as you used to say. You know? Like, it was fine. Yeah. Well, as we were talking about it, and I was trying to figure out, like, what it is I liked about it, when it did before, I don't remember anything about this. Yeah. I, like I don't remember what this was that brought anything to the table that we hadn't seen before. It wasn't bad. I was fine reading it, you know. But every time the integration with DC came up, it took me out of it immediately. It it just it doesn't work. It made me want to read old Wildcats. Maybe want to read the Alan Moore stuff. I mean, I guess was Fairchild was she from Gen thirteen? Uh, maybe I don't know. I was like, I kind, I kind of recognize this, but not really. At some point, Grifter became the focus mm-hmm. of the, these Wildcat stories, and I don't know when that happened. But it wasn't that way originally. Like he was like everyone's favorite character because he was the cool badass in the '90s. But right, you know, they had a big team of lots of characters, and I feel like every Wildcat story I read now is about Grifter. And it's just like I'm, I don't necessarily even care. I think he's the hook. I think that's the, the you know you're supposed to be zealot yeah you know what there were a lot of and then like they went through i was like oh yeah maxine manchester zealots in here jacob marlowe there's, there's some really interesting character yeah, yeah. there's some really death blow <laughs> which is also a seinfeld movie <laughs> you're gonna miss the death blow <laughs> um 
<sighs> you know, like it just, it was reminding me of things. Right. And that's all it was. It was making me want to go back. I was like, man, I should read those Alan Moore ones again. Like, it wasn't bad, <laughs> but... No, it wasn't a bad comic. I just didn't care, and I just yeah. don't think it works, and I think they keep trying. I get it. It's Jim Lee's characters. He sold them to DC. He's he's a, he's one of the executives who runs the company. They're going to keep trying. They're going to keep running them out there, but it just doesn't work. I don't know why... I don't know why they have to be part of the DC universe. Just well, to, just stop that. And write that a whole, new Wildcat yeah. story. It's that whole ethos, you know, everything's kind of, everything has to be connected. It's like vertigo. No, but don't, just it's, don't. It's dumb. It, that, that's what's killing it, is that, I mean, hey, maybe it's possible that the property has run its course, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. that might have been all there was to it. I mean, you and run it out fine. enough times and it doesn't, do, it doesn't make any kind of blip on the market or the, with the audience. I mean, yeah, maybe. I think if it was going to go anywhere, and this is what we saw, is um, it happened already, for one thing. Uh, you know, it became Joe Casey's thing, which be- was interesting. There was a third volume of there was a the, he was the second, and there was a third volume, and it wasn't as great. Although that was, the t- that was when we were introduced to Dustin Gwynn as an artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you had Sleeper, and you had Authority, and you had Stormwatch. Not, not necessarily in those orders. That was the next the next natural progression of those things. But then, since then, what? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, just Grifter shows up here and there. Mm-hmm. They tried to they tried to make Grifter part of the Batman family. Like they would do like the the uh the you know, those promotional shots, the whole Batman family standing on rooftops and Grifter would always be there. And you're like, why the mm-hmm. fuck is Grifter here? I mean, wh- to be fair, why the fuck are most of those people there? Why is Duke here and why is Grifter here? Why? <laughs> There's, there must be like a, a an iTunes review of us that is like, <laughs> why can't they get over fucking Duke? What's wrong with those guys? And 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 to to you I say, sir. You're not wrong. Like it's, 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 I don't even know if he's still around anymore. He but is. We can't get over him. But it's a long, it's a running joke. But yeah, that's fine. But it just doesn't work. It doesn't. Name's Duke. It's actually there's the only, signal, Josh. The signal. There's only one Duke, and it's Clayton Abernathy. <laughs> and I don't, don't want to hear it. Actually, I think Clayton Abernathy is Hawk. Hold uh, on. Yeah, isn't it like just, uh, like stop the show? <laughs> pause. Hit pause. <laughs> Clayton what is Duke's real name? Duke's Hawk, real Hawk. name. Uh, oh, I know it. Hauser? Something Hauser? Cole, Conrad Hauser. Boom! <laughs> Duke is a wasp. <laughs> I think they all are. Yeah, probably. Oh, certainly Clayton Abernathy. Yeah. All right. So that was your Patreon pick, Wildcats number one. We didn't. We, we forgot last week to rate and say our You know what patron. they should do? So, yeah. They should they should uh they should find, try to integrate G.I. Joe with the Marvel universe. I'd read that. Well they did. <laughs> yeah. In the eighties. Didn't they? Like they had, they, they should they quickly had Spider-Man, they had Spider-Man fight Transformers. Yeah. Anyway, uh I give Wildcats a two stars out of five. I'll give it two and a half. I'm not sticking with it. Mm. You are. You are. Probably. <laughs> 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 it's okay we I, all do I, irrational things i really like the writer i really do like the property it's just it's like it's like buying an album of a band you really like oh like they keep coming up but they'll be like, maybe this one will be good you know and they haven't had a good one in years and I don't, i'm not talking about rosenberg i'm talking about wildcats yeah know, like that's a group um yeah I'll probably, i mean like i think if i read the next one and there isn't a hook i i probably won't keep going but i want it i want to give it a little bit of a shot 
Patreon.com slash iFanboy. Every patron gets a vote to add a book to the rundown. Thanks to all the patrons who vote. But if you give it the $5 or higher level on this very show live, you get a superpower bestowed upon you. Or in this case, upon someone you request. We've had that before. Someone before we did, a, we did the son of a patron. Mm-hmm. This time we're doing a girlfriend of a patron. Her name is Karen. And patron, patron girlfriend Karen's power is that she can control the fatigue level uh, in anyone else. She can up your fatigue level or reduce your fatigue level. So, you know. And she'd get to me and she'd try to do her Jedi shit and be like, he's too powerfully strong. I can't. <laughs> his, his level of fatigue is too strong, even for my abilities. <laughs> And she would she would fall down. There'd be a little trickle of blood down her nose, and, <laughs> uh, but, but but kind of like a, a telepath uh, or someone sure. like Jean Grey. She can uh, she can raise make you really really tired, or if you're really tired, make you really not tired. She has that ability, which could work both good and bad in both directions. Sure. Like, yeah. what if you're really tired and want to go to sleep, and she's like, "Ramp that shit up." Yep. You're like, "I can't go to sleep." <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's useful and also you know dangerous unless she's yeah. faced with her nemesis Josh Lanigan, which is the best powers are both have both good and evil connotations because that's absolutely. where the drama comes from. So thanks uh, to Kevin for being a patron and thanks for Karen for uh, you know putting up with Kevin. I guess I don't know. Maybe they've got a great relationship. I don't know. Sure. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go support the show directly. We thank everyone as a patron. We try to make it fun for you, for them. We uh, They've unlocked things for all, all of you to enjoy. Most of the shows that we do now, in terms just of output, are shows that the patrons unlock, and everyone gets to enjoy them, and thanks for doing that. We have uh, a community of fun people. We have a Discord server. There's a Facebook group, I believe, still. And uh, we try to make it fun. We have monthly hangouts that we do with them where you just, just get silly and... Uh, you know, we try to make it fun, and uh, hopefully you enjoy being a patron, and hopefully if you've ever thought about being one, uh, you will join up. And we have our new stretch goals coming in January, so hopefully there'll be some new thing, fun things for you to uh, to build towards. Turns out having new stretch goals is, in fact, a stretch goal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And so uh, hopefully, you know, if you ever consider being a patron, even if you wanted to be a $1 patron, that's fine, at patreon.com slash ifanboy. We thank you for doing that com is our t-shirt store. We have 12 shirts. We have we have a couple of more in the incubation stage. It may be a while until we get to those because we have been kicking ideas around, but we haven't really nailed it yet. Uh, so it may be, well, it will be beginning of next year when those shirts will start coming out. But uh, you can, in the meantime, com. I wore my Stay Home Read Comics baseball tee the other day. I really like that shirt. I'm just impressed it still fits you. Well done. Well, I, I, I bought it big and uh, one size up and that fits fine. Yeah. I, I bought it big, which was a stretch. And then I think it shrunk a little uh, and now, well, there was a pandemic. I'm very diligent about not drying my shirts because I have, the lo- you and I have the long torso. Sure. And it, uh, shirts shrink even a little. All of a sudden it's a, it becomes a belly shirt. Yep. And no, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. no one needs that anymore. No, no one. Well, it'll probably be a thing soon. It might be a thing now. I don't know. Support, uh, direct donations via PayPal happen there. Digital tip jars, like I said, our one listener in Altadena. We're talking to you. You're the one who uh, won the big lotto, and we, we, we appreciate you. We love you. You're our favorite. It's time. It's time. 
fmo.com slash Amazon. That's where you can shop. It's where, hey, we're heading into shopping season, according to every commercial. And also, I went to the to the Grove, the big shopping center last night to see Black Panther. And I was like, oh, Santa's workshop is up. It's not even Thanksgiving yet. It's shopping time. <laughs> so if you feel like you're shopping via Amazon, you can always go to fmo.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find our books, blood books. If you feel like getting people comics, but also a general shopping link. And we thank everyone who uses that. And finally, bookshop.org. I just got a big... Uh, shipment of bookshop.org books that i just ordered it's a way to stop stop buying books i can't help it uh (laughs) it's a way for you to shop for books and support local bookstores it's basically a a collective of local bookstores that will ship to you just like any other service and you can have your profits go to a specific store like i do or you can just have it go to a general fund that goes to the collective of stores it's a great service i really recommend them it, you, you get them just as fast as any other service, maybe a day a day later, but you, you don't need that book right away. If you no, did, you're, you're not going to store and buy it yourself. You're not going to read it for years. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Connor's uh, what Vegas calls a whale. <laughs> Bookshop.org. So let's do an email. At least one. Yeah. You pick. Like, I, you know what? I'm going to do the first one and see if we can get through it, and okay. then we'll, we'll go for the second one. Okay. Uh, Mark, Mark has a question, then I'm going to give you some context okay. after. Mark asked, I was hoping you could help. You seem like the obvious place for this question. By the way, we're both flattered about that. Absolutely. What is the correct way to eat pizza in a restaurant? And my initial, th- that's the end of the question. Okay. And my initial thought was, who who would ask that but a Brit? So I went back, I looked at the email address, mm-hmm. .co.uk. Right. And if that, if you're not sure, what that means is if you go into a pizza place in the UK, I can't speak to the rest of Europe, you will see people eating pizzas with forks and knives. Well, okay, so this is important. So we've, we've had a lot of discussion about pizza over the years because of the way pizza's been drawn in comics. The way to eat pizza in a restaurant depends on the pizza. And what I mean by that is most of your pizzas that have like a, a hearty crust that you can hold, you mm-hmm. eat with your hands. However, well, if you're eating a true Neapolitan-style pizza that's like a super thin crust... Uh, you really can't hold that, so it's des- it's designed to eat with a fork and knife. Like that's how people eat pizza in Italy. So mm-hmm. I have no problem if it's a super thin Neapolitan crust eating for- with a fork and knife. I've done I've done that myself. It's just not you can't hold it. It'll especially if there's toppings, it'll fall right off. You're designed. They're designed to be eaten with a fork and knife. There are cultural mores here, though, because. Sure. We boorish Americans pick up anything with our hands and just shove it in our maws. Well, you know, food food is some food is designed for that. You know, especially bread based yes. foods. Like you know, you but, get bread to the table, you eat it with your hands. You you eat a taco I'm with not, your hands off the table. Having been how okay, so it's been a while since I've been in the UK, right. but uh, I was there on business at one point, and across from my hotel was was a business called Pizza Express. I have since learned that this is a chain. Mm-hmm. There are many of them. They have pizza. It was fine pizza. There was, there was, there was, no, it, was it was, it was quite delightful. Also, it was on an expense account. So who gives a shit? Um, <laughs> but I noticed when I when I was sitting there and I was by myself, um, you know, everybody else in there, uh, looking smart in their in their work clothes and whatnot, were eating their pizza with their fork and knives. Now this is pretty standard pizza. It's a circle mm-hmm. shape, a pie wedge. Uh, you know, not super thin crust, not super thick. Just it's, it was just pretty. You know, if you got it at a takeout place, you're like, yeah, it's all right. When I got the pizza, I thought, well, I have a choice to make here. <laughs> do I win enrollment or do I boorish right. American it? Right. I boorish American it. 
And I thought, you know, but I I think if you were a British person and you were there and you've been there and you would just do what everybody else did, which would be with a knife and fork. And that's not incorrect in that context. I mean, listen, if you're like about to go into surgery, you don't want to get your hands all greasy, then you have a fork and knife. But otherwise, if it's a hearty pizza that you can pick up, then then you should be eating with your hands, even in a restaurant. But, I believe also pizza doesn't exist well in an upscale environment. I mean, there's it's certainly lots like, of upscale places you can get pizza. Yes, though. yes, but like if if it's a one thing on the menu and everything else is a fork and knife kind of thing, and then you're there and just grabbing it with your hands, you know. But you wouldn't say that about, a, it, about, about when they bring bread to the plate table. Well, like there's I, food, honestly, some food is designed know. that way. Perhaps, you perhaps. Know? But again, if it's a thin crust, which is not what Pizza Express is, but if it's a, if it's a thin no. crust Neapolitan-style pizza, go for it with a fork and knife. I, I remember what, going to a place here in L.A., and I tried to pick it up, and everything just fell right off. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. that's not how this works. Did you feel conspicuous using the fork and knife, though? No, because people were, because it was a thin crust pizza. Fair. But my, but my, just like my in your inclination soul. was to pick it up. No, because sure. I, I see like it's just it's just not going to work. Structurally, you know what pizza, this is an engineering pizza problem. Pizza Express, better than Pizza Hut. Well, Not yeah. even close. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, Pizza Hut was my bar none favorite. I was like, this is the best thing on earth. And then a trip to the Pizza Hut on Route 13 in Ithaca ended my entire run of Pizza Hut consumption for the rest of my life. Oh, I did. I, d- I did indeed, sir. It do you was... remember that one? Do you remember, so do you remember that one time? Let's talk about pizza. Do you remember that one time? So we had a really great local pizza place in college that was right outside of campus and everybody ordered from it and it was great. Really, really great. But one time we ordered Papa John's. Do you remember that from your apartment? Uh, not really. You, but me, kind Simmons, of. Van Neal. Did we get sick? No. Well, I think first of all, I think we ordered it because they were doing a promotion. They were trying to break into the campus and break right, the hole cheap. that Rogan had was, on it. So they gave right. like these giant discount coupons, and we were like, "Well, fuck it. We're cheap. We're we're poor college right. students. Let's just order this Papa John's pizza." I remember it took like an hour. Where Rogan's mm-hmm. like, you had it in like fifteen minutes, and yeah. it just wasn't good. And I think that's the last time I've ever had Papa John's. I remember uh, Ron and Gordon, Ron, founder of the show, and Gordon, the intern, if you're an old-timey person, they loved Papa John's for some reason, like, and mm-hmm. would get it. And then also, <laughs> I had an ongoing joke that went on for years, where if we ever got Papa John's, this is so dumb, it's not for anybody, it's just for you, Steve Van Neal, who was my roommate in college and then afterwards for a couple of years, few years, uh, we would hide the little garlic sauce package <laughs> in the other person's stuff if we got one. <laughs> and so, like, when you went to bed, you'd find the little Papa John's garlic sauce, and it would just get passed around like that for years. <laughs> I just remembered that. That's really funny. I so worked were, at you, Rogan's. You were ordering Did Papa you know John's that? in L.A.? I might have at some point. Oh I don't my know. God, Josh. It's not like there's good pizza in L.A. It's better pizza now, but not. You're never going to be as right. good as New York pizza. And I was, and and like we're going back to poor. You thought I was poor in college, right? Early poor in LA was pretty like whatever. It t- it's five dollars. Give it to me. Right. Um, oh yeah, Del Taco. A- I'll take it. Thirty five right. cent taco. I've never eaten that. I've never eaten that. <laughs> we no, not one time. We went there once. Anyway, and, and like we got like fifty five tacos for like ten <laughs> or something less than that, maybe five dollars. I think that I think what th- what threw me off about the Del Tacos is like I saw fries on the menu and I was like, forget this. Oh that yeah, no. I don't know why there. you'd go there when Taco Bell is on the, is there when you're when you have I've, no money. But we did it. I've only and, eaten at Taco Bell like a handful of times in my life either, and it was like a dare. 
Well, like, wouldn't this they, be funny? Let's just keep talking about food in college. There was a Taco Bell that opened up in, in our college town, and that's that's the only time I really went to Taco Bell was mm-hmm. my roommate Casey was like, Wanna go to Taco Bell? And I was like, sure. She liked Taco Bell. So we went. So I worked at Rogan's. I, know, I delivered yeah. pizzas for a while. And uh that was uh I wasn't surprised when the place went down for drug charges later. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Well, the pizza was because I was like, "Hey, hello, hello, fellow pizza delivery people." <laughs> oh, I'm scared. Actually, like it was, yeah. it was, it was some dregs of the earth business in the delivery crew. Cocaine. That was a problem at that place, but yeah, uh, I did. I hope all of you enjoyed this part of the show. But that was a legitimately good pizza. Like I say, this Absolutely. as a New Yorker, like and it was like holy shit, the, this is legitimately really good pizza, and it was like cheap, and you got it in fifteen minutes because it was right off campus, and they gave they you free the, sodas, which caused me to they, have a ca- uh, caffeine withdrawal situation, and I had to stop drinking Pepsi for a while because I would get two free sodas every time I got a pizza. The two sixteen ounce sodas was fantastic with it, and they, they had great did wings. The, it was the double uh, dough. Double dough barbecue chicken pizza. Barbe- the barbecue the chicken bacon pizza was the tops. Yep. And uh, I've been trying to recreate that feeling ever since. I I, I make that pizza. It's like my, my son's favorite meal now. Um, I well, we're not get, uh, go ahead. <laughs> we're not getting that Batman question. No, we're, no, we're, we're not. No, you can use that next week. <laughs> yeah, I, there was a place recently when I found I ordered. They had a barbecue chicken pizza, and I said, "Can I get bacon on that?" And they were like, "Oh." So because that's the key. Yeah. It counteracts the sauce. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I can't even imagine. The kids that are there now don't even know what they're missing. I thought Mark was going to be two minutes in and out. <laughs> and then we went on this weird <laughs> nostalgia ride. There was the Steve and Neil sauce hiding. <laughs> there was. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, do, you, do you remember? I don't know if you were there or not. This is the last thing stop. we'll talk about. Is that when I almost died from eating wings from Rogan's? No, you, I don't, you may not. You may not have been there. It was at your, it was at your your place. It was at your uh, your garden apartment. I can see you in my mind choking on something. Yes. So I I, I you know this is upstate New York, which is the home of chicken wings. That's where they were born from Buffalo, New York. I didn't like them while I, I was there. So I feel I, bad. I remember grabbing a, a wing and a big old dollop of so- hot sauce on it and putting it in my mouth, and the <laughs> sauce ran down my throat. I kind of remember this. My my body's biological reaction it was to close the throat because it was hot. Yes. And so no air was coming in. It was like when you when you die in a fire. Mm-hmm. And so I I remember flailing around your apartment, going to the sink, trying to drink water to open it up again. And after what felt to me like ten minutes, but it was probably only twenty five seconds. I finally my throat opened up again, but it was like. Mm-hmm. It was like the most genuinely terrifying moment of my life up until that point was, wow, I'm going to die. I'm going to die from a chicken wing, not even choking on the bone, just from the sauce in this apartment. Um, what, what would you guys have even done? I don't know. I mean, I, what, I, I hadn't been watching ER at that point, so I wouldn't have known to slice into <laughs> you your wouldn't airway. You would have cut a hole in my throat and put a... And shove big, a pen in there. Big pen. Like I would have... Yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what you do. I mean, I know what to do now. I wouldn't hesitate. I'd slice you up like a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> we were probably playing Goldeneye. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that was fun. Contact <laughs> You can write it for this show. You can also write in for our Immediate Blood show. If you put that in the subject line, we'll know where to put it. And thanks for everybody who writes in. Sorry for, for uh, with the email we had slated for 
after Mark's, but we'll do that next time. Uh, let's do some plugs. So uh, again, this is a time of lots of special edition shows. There's going to be a special edition show every week to, from now to the end of the year. Uh, previously, we had our Media Splode show. We talked about House of the Dragon and The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, both seasons ones. We talked about that in our Media Splode show. Just beyond this, behind this show, a little surprise for you. We had our, Josh and I reviewed She-Hulk Attorney at Law season one. That was in lieu of Talksplode this month. We decided, hey, let's talk about the show we both enjoyed and give people a preview of perhaps some TV coverage that they could unlock at, at, at Patreon as a stretch goal. And so that was fun. That's right behind this show. And then coming out this week, we're going to have our review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, we haven't, we've, Josh and I have seen it. We haven't recorded the show yet, uh, but we will. And we will be getting it to you as soon as we can, which will be Thursday, which is when the special edition shows come out. And so that means we're at the end of the year. We actually only have four more picks of the week left. This, uh, we've got a month left of shows. So we have 856, 857 in November, 858, 859 in December. And in between that, we'll have the Black Panther show. We'll have our Media Explode in November. We'll have a Super Sons review in December. We'll have our Book Explode. Oh, Book Explode. We've chosen the Book Explode book. We're giving you some time. Josh and I are going to review Namor Visionaries John Byrne Volume 1. It's the first nine issues of John Byrne's early 90s run on Namor the Submariner. It's topical. It's fun. It's John Byrne. It's Namor. It's flat tops. Where's the suit? Tiny green panties. We're we're excited. So if you don't own that book, somehow somehow don't own it, uh, the issues are all available on Marvel Marvel Unlimited. That's how we're reading it. So uh, Namor Visionaries Volume One, John Byrne, or Namor Visionaries John Byrne Volume One. That's the book's blood book, which will be that show will be coming on December. And then All Media Show, our All Media Year and Roundup comes out December 18th. That's our final show of the year. And then we'll be back with Pick the Week 860, January 8th. That's the, that's the holiday schedule. Go to fm.com. You can find all of our shows, our history of comic book writing from talented writers, some of whom may have eaten wings with us. You can like <laughs> facebook.com slash ifanboy or at ifanboy on Twitter for now. Uh, and ifanboy comics on Instagram. And you can find out what the Pick of the Week is before the show comes out in any of those areas. Uh, you can follow Connor and I individually on Instagram at CSK Patrick or Jay Flanagan. Our YouTube page is youtube.com slash, you guessed it, iFanboy. Uh, all the old video shows are up there, and we post this show every week. Um, that's it. That's where those things are. And uh, if you like the show, consider leaving us a star rating or a, uh, you know, in, a review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, star ratings and reviews are incredibly important for any show you listen to. And, and any show you listen to, I'd appreciate you do that. It takes us just a second to do, and it helps people find shows, and we do appreciate that. I did want to mention before we go, and this is this is something we've talked about a lot in the last couple of years because we're at that age where people who have been very important to our comic book lives, in the, in the, in the lives of this show, it's our I fanboy itself, which is we're in our our twenty second year, uh, you know, starting to pass on, and we, we've had a couple throughout the the last couple of years, but this the past two weeks we lost Kevin O'Neill who, uh, for me, rose to prominence with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And then this this week, Carlos Pacheco, who we know had been really badly ill had ML- and had MLS and was going to retire from drawing, uh, very unexpectedly passed away this week. And then Josh, you probably don't know this, but while we were recording, uh, it was announced that Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, died. So Oof. a lot of cultural touchstones uh, for us. You know, we're at that age, and... You know, people who wrote and drew your childhood and your young adulthood and your adulthood, the adventures that you enjoy, they're, you know, and, and cherish them while you have, have them because, you know, you're never going to know when they're going to be gone. 
It's a bummer. Somebody watch over Larry Hama. Protect that man. Yeah. There's and, a lot I of mean, people, too. Kevin O'Neill is, no, is a surprise, but Pacheco was someone incredibly popular with a lot of people in the industry. And, um, you know, especially from a Marvel standpoint, uh, really oh, sure. drew a lot of the stuff from our time as an iFanboy. I mean, he did some great DC work. He did a really terrific graphic novel. But he's, uh, he's also one of those ageless people to me. It's like, if you say his name, I, I don't really associate him with a particular era. I know, like, not so much recently, but, you know, uh, it's just sort of always been there in comics for right. me. And, 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 and it's like a name. There's some names that you see on comics. You go, oh, good. I know this is going to be all right. Yep. You know, because that that's this this skilled craftsman and artist on it. Um that's a bummer. And I believe we did a book explode on Avengers Forever, Avengers which Forever. is true. Yeah. We did that fairly yeah. recently. Was that this year or last year? That was last year. But if you want to check it out, us talking about uh, Pacheco's work pretty in depth was uh, we did an Avengers Forever show last year. But mm-hmm. uh it's a bummer and unfortunately, you know, it's gonna be common as we go forward in our lives but uh you know maybe pick up a book pick up your leave extraordinary gentleman if you never read it pick up avengers forever what was the one he did was it grant morrison the justice league jla jsa book that was really good and if i try to guess it'll be wrong and then kevin conroy of course is the for most people the iconic batman and so you know the best thing you can do is to honor them is to enjoy their work and my uh, son and i have been watching the justice league cartoons and uh, it says that they're Y7, but then Aquaman cut his own hand off to save his baby. And I was yeah. like, Jesus. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. And he was like, Aah! and I was like, this is grim. Holy cow. J- JLA, JSA, Virtue and Vice was Carlos Pacheco's. Uh, it was I remember a, that. It was uh, OGN. Yeah. That, uh, was it Kurt Busiek? I'm almost positive. It was, no, it was David Goyer and Jeff Johns. Ah, right. Okay. So we talked about J- Jeff Johns and JSA before. This is another great... Ooh, that's meant a good book book next year. But uh, JLA, JSA, Virtue Advice is a great Carlos Pacheco DC book. If you've only really noticed Marvel stuff. Came out in 2002, right after we started doing my fanboy. So there you go. Uh, well, so we'll, we'll send this show out dedicated to Kevin, Carlos, and Kevin. And until next time, I'm Connor. I'm Josh. Thanks so much, everyone. 